Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears and today we are discussing the complex relationship we can have with alcohol. We are joined by Maz Compton, a mum, author, radio and podcast host who hasn't had a drink since 2015. She is passionate about helping people drink less and live their best lives. In this episode, we all open up about the effects alcohol has on our social lives, relationships and well-being. Also, how to identify if we fall into the category of grey area drinking and how to navigate socialising when you want to ditch the tequila shots for water. Maz, welcome to the podcast. This is a topic that I've been very interested in for a while now. I think going through parenthood myself, becoming a mum and noticing that kind of culture between mums drinking and how we're almost using it as a crutch now. So anytime we're stressed, we grab that glass of wine or, you know, we have we go out and we socialise and we're probably having, you know, two or three bottles when we're out socialising with just a couple of friends. So it is just Mm. becoming more and more apparent. And I think once you become past that age of a teenager when everyone talks about binge drinking and how, you know, how abhorrent binge drinking is, this has just become quite a normalised area. What gave you the leap to start, you know, looking at your drinking habits and how did you start to you know, unpack what you thought was going on with you with alcohol? Yeah, it was a, it was a process, you know, it was, it wasn't like I just woke up one day and was like, oh, I'm just going to stop drinking. Um, I, I kept waking up with really bad anxiety Mm. and, um, gaps in my memory. That was the first thing that really, I think became alarming. Mm. So I'm talking about when I was in my early 30s and I had had a very successful media career that gave me access to endless and free alcohol. And so I was in environments constantly where alcohol was just there and I never second-guessed it. I never thought perhaps I'm leaning on this substance Mm -hmm. to dissipate the anxiety I feel going into really big social situations or feeling like, what am I doing in this room? Because I'm just me and I didn't feel like I belonged there. I never questioned any of those things until 2014 when I really started to wake up feeling like so, like like sick in my stomach mm. with anxiety of like, oh, my God, what did I do? How did I get home? Like, what is going on? Why is there one shoe at the front door and the other shoe on the lawnmower? Like, what is happening? And so it was enough mornings like that for me to really go, this isn't working for me. And then I had this, like, awful realisation that I wanted to stop drinking, but I had no idea how to do it. And Mm. the idea of not having alcohol on a weekend terrified me. And then that was the moment that I was like, maybe this has become a problem for you. So when when I talk about problematic drinking and the term sober curiosity, 
I don't love to talk about quantity because the amount of alcohol you're consuming is irrelevant. It's the impact that it's having on you that really matters. And I started looking at the impact, the amount of alcohol I was drinking was having on me and it was all negative impact. There were no good things anymore. And I had Mm. gotten to a place of dependence where I would finish my job at 6 p.m. and be hanging for a wine, like couldn't wait till I could either get to the bottle shop to buy a bottle of Savion Blanc and a bottle of Pinot just in case, Um, or I would go to the gym. Like I kind of kept fit, but like I'd go to the gym or a yoga class or something, but it was like straight home in the door, take off my bra, glass of wine. So it had become so habitual and it had become such a habit that was wreaking havoc and that was the confusing, that was the thing where I was like, there's a really big disconnect here. So the penny drop moment was it was my friend's birthday party and I remember thinking I don't want to go because I don't want to drink. And then I was like, well, that sucks because I'm being a crap friend. I'm, I can't fathom going to my friend's party and not having alcohol so maybe maybe that means that there's this huge disconnect going on and alcohol's not serving the purpose that I thought it was and so that was I think that that big line of questioning that started me going why am I even drinking why can't I get through a weekend without it um why do I wake up on a Saturday and go, oh, my God, I feel terrible. I'm never drinking again. And I'm literally smashing beers by that afternoon. Like it just was so disconnected. And so so then, you know, all of those questions are internal questions. They're questions that I was asking myself in the mirror constantly. It's dialogue I'm having in and around myself. But I got to a point where I couldn't land on a solution or an answer or a reason or a diagnosis or a label. So I Googled, am I an alcoholic? And then that was even more confusing because I wasn't. (laughs) I was like, Mm. I was kind of hoping that Mm. I was because then at least I could go, oh, okay, phew, I'm an alcoholic. I'll go to AA, sort myself out. But Mm. I didn't actually resonate with that definition that I read of alcoholic. And I also think that term, it's not helpful or useful. I think it's very outdated. I think we can use much better and more effective terminology now, like gray area drinker or binge drinker. Um, so because I didn't find myself in the alcoholic category, then I had no idea how to like get out of the situation that I was in. And so I kind of, again, after a lot of thinking and, um, I called beyond blue at one point and I was like, what do I do? Like, I don't want to go to AA. It doesn't feel right, but I don't want to drink anymore, but I don't know how to stop. And um through that and a bit of therapy we kind of landed on take a bit of time off um and I'm a hardcore planner um and I'm a really big goal setter so I was like I'm going to plan to stop drinking on the 1st of January and my goal is to get to the end of January and not have any alcohol in 2015 and I literally have not had a drink since then for me it there's no option you know it's like Mm -hmm. What I landed on in those in those 31 days was access to a life that I never thought imaginable and it was a level of clarity, a level, a level of creativity, a, little, a level of freedom. It was all of the things that I craved. It was, it was everything that I was 
wanting all packaged up into one thing called sobriety. And I realized in that month, like, well, this is it. Like, this is the superpower. And I just want to see what is going to keep unfolding for me if I keep going down this path. And so it's like I didn't really give myself any other option, but it, but I also chose the best choice for my life, which is zero drinks. Can I go back to something you mentioned, grey area drinking? Now, I've never mm. heard that term before. Obviously, I've heard binge drinking. So what's the difference between the two? So binge drinking is, um, I think by definition, it's like when you have more than four standard drinks in any one session. So binge drinking is like you have a lot of alcohol in a small amount of time. A lot of alcohol can vary for each person or each group of friends. But in general, it's like one session where you drink enough that you kind of, you have a binge. Um, A grey area drinker is a, a situation that might look a little bit like this. It's you have one glass of wine every single day at four o'clock without fail. It's only one glass of wine, but you can't not have it. So it's still habituation, it's still become a habit, it's still going to have a myriad of negative effects on your health, it's still going to affect your thinking, it's going to affect your um, motor skills, your cognitive function, it's going to impact you because it's still alcohol, but it doesn't put you in that binge drinking, blacking out um, category of drinker. So I think for me, the grey area really is somewhere between um, like, full-blown dependence and completely sober and that's a really big scale mm-hmm. um, but that is the gray area and and I think where I placed myself on that scale when I was assessing my relationship with alcohol felt really close to the dependence side of things and I thought I'm in that gray area where I wouldn't say I have alcohol use disorder according to the the diagnosis but I'm not sober. So the, it, it, it is a gray area. And so then I was like, well, I'm, I'm about here on the scale and I would like to be more towards the safer end of um, being, you know, a high-functioning, contributing member of society that doesn't use alcohol every single day, which was where I was at. I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast when I was um, introducing you, but you know, it seems to be a growing part of female culture and your story there, as I totally identified with, you know, I remember, especially in my early thirties, I didn't have children. I was going, I was going to work and I'd come home and I'd be like, oh, that was a stressful day at work. I've got to have a glass of wine. I'm allowed a glass of wine. That's my, you know, it's my reward, mm-hmm. but it's also my de-stressor. And yep. then I have noticed, as I said, I've shifted into motherhood. I've noticed that that's you know, a very common culture with how mother, how women are now treating motherhood. So, you know, it was mm-hmm. a hard day with the kids. Can't wait to have that glass of shard when I get home and relapse, mm. and re, you know, and unwind. And it's, and it is, it's habitual. So why do you think this is so much A on the rise in women? Because I've noticed mm. a lot more in women these days. And, you know, does it affect women differently? Yes, alcohol affects women differently, especially in midlife. So um, you'll have to forgive me because I'm not, I don't know the exact terminology, but um, women in midlife, we have a decline in a particular hormone that help. it's an enzyme that helps digest, not digest the alcohol, but process the alcohol in Mm -hmm. our body. We have a steep decline in that when we hit midlife. So that means, so you might notice that friends in their, 
late 30s, early 40s mm. complain of like their hangovers all of a sudden just got way, way worse. It's because of the hormonal of changes in our body. So we're up against it as females anyway because alcohol messes with your hormones and then we have this mm. decline in an enzyme that sort of helps us drink. So it's just so insanely problematic for women. The other thing is um, that alcohol increases your risk of breast cancer significantly. And I don't think there's enough talk on the links and there are scientifically proven links now between drinking Mm. and breast cancer. So there are some really alarming health stats on alcohol consumption that I think there needs to be a bigger education piece around. So it absolutely affects us differently. Why I think it's snuck into mummy culture is because um, you just kind of, you kind of hit the nail on the head, Clara. So we we are in the corporate world, we have no kids, we go home from work, we've had a big day, we feel stressed, we have a glass of wine, it relaxes us. Our habits don't change when we become parents. Mm. Mm. The stress just becomes the kids instead of the work. The habits are the same. We have a tough day with the kids, the kids are driving us up the wall, we, we deserve a break We need something to de-stress. And the thing that we've lent on before we had kids was alcohol. Why would we magically all of a sudden choose something else? Mm. So I think it's just um, progression and and habituation. And I I think, you know, the lesson or the, the message that I'm trying to get out there is like when we can find other tools other than alcohol, we can set ourselves up for being so present, so responsive, And so much better at having the capacity to deal with the bigness of life. When you get sober, your kids don't start sleeping through the night magically. They don't stop being little jerks. But what (laughs) happens is you as a parent have better coping skills and more Mm. capacity to actually be in the seat, in the room and doing the parenting thing. So what, you know, part of, and I write about this in my book, I I try and give people a whole bunch of other tools and a Mm. range of tools that they can use to de-stress, to relax and to reward themselves because that's a common theme. A lot of people go, oh, well, wine helps me relax. Like Mm. it does. I agree. Do you know why it helps you relax? Because it changes your brain chemistry. (laughs) It stops your brain processing reality. And so you have a glass of wine and you feel relaxed, but then you have six or seven wines and you can't remember the night. Now, what? so that's problematic. So even though people aren't wrong in saying it helps me feel relaxed, but the, the knock-on negative impacts are so detrimental to our cognitive function that I feel like there are better ways that we can mm. help us relax, Right. The de-stress one is another big one. Like it just de-stresses me. It's like, yeah, or it. Um, for me, it was like it actually dissipates my anxiety. Mm. It does. It temporarily dissipates your anxiety and then it makes you more anxious. It increases your anxiety. So what we do is we drink because we feel anxious and we feel less anxious. The more we drink, the more anxious we feel. The more anxious we feel, the more we feel we need to drink. And then all of a sudden you're in a 10-year-long blame shame cycle and anxiety is crippling and waking you up in the middle of the night and giving you heart palpitations and a pit of 
like guilt in your stomach and interrupting your sleep. Like it's just, it's so big when, and and I understand when people are like, but I need my wine. I'm like, Mm. I get it. You need something and wine isn't it. And I think once we start giving women other coping tools to use in their parenting journeys, we're going to be so much better for it. I even think, I don't think it's just parenting. I think it's everyday life and having those tools to de-stress because I have definitely been guilty of having a tough day or something's gone wrong and I've had a few glasses of wine at the end of the night Mm. or like I'm just going into a new social setting with new friends and new people and I'm like, I'm just going to have a wine before I go. So I'm more funny. So I'm more witty. So people are going to like me more. And it's that mindset that's taken me a long time to get out of and restructure. Yeah. And just a question, Grace. So after that crappy day at work, when you had a few glasses of wine, did it make the day any better? Like, did did it undo the crappiness of the day? No. It made me relax. But then the next morning... Um, I struggle with anxiety as is without alcohol. So it just exacerbated it even Mm. more. And then I would always have a bad night's sleep if I had a drink. So then I'd have a coffee, but I shouldn't have coffee with my anxiety. So it's like, okay, I've just had wine, bad sleep, and now a coffee. So now I've ruined this next day. So it was always a ripple effect. That's so interesting. I've been really trying to understand, like just thinking back on my behavior, like why did I keep doing this thing that I didn't want to do? Like this thing, this drinking thing for me, it was not working for a really long time, but I couldn't figure out how to not. Mm. And I'm trying to, I guess, resolve that internally for me so that I can help people resolve it faster for themselves, because it feels like a really common thread. Like, we, you know, if you've got anxiety and caffeine's not great, you need to sleep well, but alcohol is going to interrupt your sleep. Yet still we have the alcohol, right? So what mm. is, is it about that thing? And I think perhaps for some people, I think this was definitely um, one reason why I drank too was the I deserve it factor. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. I work hard. Um, I'm an independent woman and I deserve a drink. In fact, I'll have 10, you know, like that kind mm. of like, I deserve, I work so freaking hard. I deserve Mm. to be in control and make decisions and I'm having this drink. And I think I know that that for me was a really big thing because I was like, well, when I really sort of unpacked what alcohol was really doing for me, I had this moment of self-compassion where I was like, oh, honey, you deserve so much better than that. Like Mm. stop doing that to yourself. You deserve more than a hangover. You deserve more than a crap night's sleep. You deserve deserve better than 3 a.m. anxiety that is so crippling you don't even know if you can get to work. Like Mm. you deserve better than that. And I think that's another rewrite in the narrative for women that we need to do is like let's give our girls something they really do deserve. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, in my book, I talk about a self-care menu. And it's like, instead of drinking, there's like 4,100 million gazillion other things that we can do that actually are things that we deserve mm-hmm. that don't have negative health impacts, impact our sleep badly, and send us spiraling out of control. These are things that we deserve that are actually healthy and good for us and and hold like holistic for us so Mm. that's just another piece that I'm really passionate about of 
that mentality of like, well, I deserve a drink. I'm like, no, sweetie, you deserve way better. And I want people to really believe that for themselves. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say, it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. When you first started this whole journey and you were obviously looking at it and you started those 30 days, so how did you do it? Like I have a lot of friends who through even listening to our podcast, we unpack um, a lot of different health issues and alcohol is always a contributing factor. So, you know, we've spoken to um, bowel cancer Australia about bowel cancer and obviously alcohol, very similar to mm-hmm. what you talked about with breast cancer. And I've had a lot of friends say to me, I really need to look at that. Like I need to look at my alcohol and I need to look at what I'm doing there because, mm. you know, overall I eat organic. I do this. I, you know, I'm, I'm fueling my body with all the good things and I know that mm. alcohol's not quite that and I need yeah. to have a look at it, but they have no idea how to unpack it. And I must um, confess to everybody that I am not sober, but I, I don't drink a lot. And I did it through a way that is probably quite uncommon. My partner wasn't sober. I was sober, sorry, when I met him mm. and yeah, just wow. naturally didn't like alcohol. And mm. yeah, I just stopped drinking because I didn't want to be the person having, you know, a couple of glasses of wine at night on my own yeah. when my partner yeah. is sitting there sober. And it's mm. the best relationship I had. And I think it's because I was totally sober. I I was making conscious decisions. Yeah, I was making all those kind of conscious decisions. But I did it in such an organic way without really Mm. realising it that I don't know how to help my friends when they say to you, how do you start? There's so many. There's actually a lot of ways, but let me just give you two. Mm. I think the first one, that, and this will really speak to women, if you want to look at it from a health perspective. So I own a gym and um, Mm. there was a season of life where I was managing the gym and coaching clients and so I was very, very immersed in the world of fitness and I had women come into the gym just absolutely up to their eyeballs in stress. Mm. But they had to come to the gym because they had to work out because if they didn't work out, it was just going to be a disaster. And I remember having this conversation with this woman one morning. She was so stressed. She looked like she was about to just split. And I was like, hey, hun, can I can I give you some advice? Like as your coach, go home. Mm. And she's like, but I'm going to go out on Friday night and have 400 margaritas, so I need to do a workout today. And I was like, can I give you another bit of advice? Go home. Don't have any margaritas. Mm. Don't come and work out for two weeks and don't drink any alcohol and then let's reconvene and let's see how you feel. And she actually did it to her credit and she lost weight in the two weeks and she'd been trying to lose weight for like three years and she'd been like 
punishing her body, her cortisol's through the roof. That is a that hormone is a fat storer. And I'm not dissing high intensity. I'm just saying like it adds a level of stress to your body. And for some women, that is not good because our bodies don't function well under stress. We store fat under stress. So just from a physiological point of view, if you are on a health bender and you're trying to manage your weight and and be fit and healthy and all of those great, wonderful things, just stop drinking for a month and see what your body does. And I promise you, you will more than likely drop a bit of weight. It's not a weight loss solution at all, but you will because alcohol has empty calories. So if we're going in a calorie in, calorie out situation, you want to be calorie deficit, a glass of wine has more calories than a Snickers bar. You have four glasses of wine in a night. You wouldn't eat four Snickers bars, but we don't count those calories when we're talking about calorie counting usually because we're like, oh, it's wine. It doesn't matter. So it's um, the liquid calories add calories into our system. Our body doesn't process it because it doesn't get digested. It's just a whole like alcohol just wreaks havoc, havoc on your body. So if you are trying to, like I said, get your weight under control or, you know, be healthy, wealthy and wise and all the wonderful, great things that we strive to do as women for our own health and wellness, drinking alcohol is sabotaging every step on that treadmill. It is sabotaging every class you are doing. It is sabotaging every burger you don't eat when you just have a salad, but you really want the burger. Have a freaking burger. Just don't have three beers with it. And so that's my first call to action is like, if that speaks to you, cut booze out. Just cut booze out and then let's see where you're at and do it for a good four to six to eight weeks like you would sign up for a challenge at a gym and Mm -hmm. see how much of an impact that has on your body composition. So that's the first one. The second one I think is about, for me, this is kind of the approach I took. So up until 2014, I'd managed to like have a month off here and there. So I'd do Dry July and, you know, fundraise mm-hmm. and all those good things. But I, I I, had managed to go for up to four weeks, four or five weeks without alcohol in the past. And what I realized I was doing is I was, I stopped drinking for a month to prove that I didn't have a drinking problem because my mentality was if I can stop for a month, then obviously I don't have a problem. So if you want to take some time off, you've got to really change your mindset. And instead of it being about, I've got to get this alcohol thing under control. I need to figure out if I have a problem. Do I have, just park all of those thoughts and just come at it with one intention. And that intention is, let's see what my life looks like for four weeks without any alcohol. And all of a sudden it feels like the pressure's off because we're not sitting in deprivation and quit mode, which I think for self-sabotages can be really unhelpful. When we say, I'm not going to, I'm not drinking alcohol for the month, it Mm. is white knuckling it. It's going to be so hard. You're going to hate it. You're going to obsess over alcohol. It's all you're going to think about because it's the one thing you've said you're not going to do because that's how our brains work. So instead of doing that, look at it as this is an exploration, this is an experiment, this is an adventure, this is four weeks of my adult life that I am going to do regardless of what happens, whether 
we run out of coconut yogurt in the world or not, or whatever disaster may happen upon us, I'm not going to drink a drop of alcohol. And if you look at it like that, you set yourself up for such a win because all of a sudden you're already on the front foot because it's not about, oh my God, I can't have alcohol. I'm not drinking. What am I going to tell my friends? It's all just about, I'm just not drinking. And oh my God, like I feel amazing today. Or I don't feel amazing today, but I'm still not going to drink because having a drink isn't going to change any of that. So, so they're two approaches that I think will really appeal to people who listen to your podcast because mm-hmm. I know you've got those, you know, those health and wellness buffs and and I really think that just from a health perspective, it's such a great idea to cut it out. And then you've got other people that are probably like circling around like, should I quit? Do I need to? Will I ever drink again? And instead of just actually taking action, they just like, you know, ruminating on all of the questions and the reasons and the excuses. And so I think the mindset shift just snaps you out of that and just puts you on your front foot on day one. I want to go back to something you were saying, and it's around drinking culture. So for instance, my partner and I, he stopped drinking this year. I still have a couple every now and then, but we went to a party at the beginning of the year and I was drinking kombucha and he was drinking non-alcoholic beer, but it looked like beer. Yeah, And by the end of the night, everyone thought I was pregnant and I was so pissed off. Because I, because I wasn't allowed to not drink, not but because drink. my partner had a non-alcoholic beer, they didn't question it. Yeah. Now my question is, how the hell do you navigate that shit? Mm-hmm. Because it's I am so surrounded hard. by a very big drinking culture, and yeah. the pressure that I feel mm-hmm. when I don't want to drink is really intense. It makes mm-hmm. me not want to socialize. Yeah, I t- I fully get that, and that and that sucks. And I'm sorry that you had that experience because. You know, if you don't have kids, just that those eyes on you of like, oh my god, is she pregnant? Is she not? Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah, like you know, oh yes, I fully get it, and that sucks. So, this is, I guess, how I navigated social situations when I first stopped drinking. I um, and I can say this in hindsight, I didn't have this now down on day one. This was, um, I give you this solution by way of making really big bad decisions on how I responded to people in the early months because I'm a bit sassy and I'm pretty sure I told somebody to F off once because I was like, just give me a break. I'm not having a drink. Leave me alone. Uh, Because I was so sick of being asked, like, I got really over being asked, like, so when are you going to start drinking again, Compton? Like, what's this whole sobriety thing? So um, the answer to your question, Grace, is... um, I found having like a pre-planned response that you articulate the same formulaic way every time is a really easy way to go. So before you get in the social situation when you're not drinking, know what you're going to say to those people. And it usually will go something along these lines. Um, Hey, Maz, do you want a drink? Oh, no, I'm actually not drinking at the moment. I'm just taking a break for health reasons. There's not usually a follow-up question if you shut up. Mm -hmm. So having this pre-planned, really succinct response, I think it just is a great solution because it means, like I said, you just do a bit of a mic drop moment. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm taking a month off for health reasons and stop talking and just, just let it be awkward. Just let it be weird. And the other person will probably feel so awkward for asking that they'll be like, 
okay, well, do you want a water? And you can be like, yeah, can I get sparkling with some lemons? Sweet. And then it diffuses the situation. I only can say that so um, confidently now because I did the trial and error of all of the ways that you probably shouldn't respond to people. (laughs) And I probably, if I look back to 2015, like probably need to issue a few apologies for my sassiness. But I was, so I was wrestling with it all too. I think especially in those first six months, I hadn't said I'm never drinking again. I actually only said that about two years ago, like, and I'm eight and a half years sober because it's a progressive revelation and I wasn't sure where it was going and I didn't, I felt like I had to give so many excuses and defend my position and defense is the first act of war. And so I just, I just encourage people to like say the response and let it be awkward. And let the other person figure out the awkwardness and how to diffuse it. <laughs> I love that. I also find, and this is going back to, as I said, my my partner's sober and he, he just stopped drinking one day. He has never been questioned on it. So if his friends go out, he wow. they just assume he's not going to be drinking. They just never, like, it is what it is. John just doesn't drink. Me, That's however... I get asked all the time, you know, but but surely you just want a glass of wine. Surely you want this. And almost exactly like earlier in the podcast, I told you exactly how sober I was. So, like, I, I still drink a couple of times a month, but I don't drink, you know, I don't drink at home and I don't do this. And I do that over explanation thing. Too. And I feel like it's just to make other people more comfortable. But I don't I don't do you know why it's so acceptable in the male society. But females, it's just... It's the end of the world if you don't have a drink. Do you know why I think we do what you were saying, Clara? Like mm. we try, we over-explain our way out of things for other people. It's because we're people pleasers. Yeah. Mm. I know for me I grew up in a home where it was like you're a good girl, you're a nice girl, you hug your grandmother because that's what you do because it's the right thing to do and, you know, like you, you speak when you're spoken to, like, I am a people pleaser. It was wired into my brain chemistry at a very young age. And I know now looking back at those interactions, my over explanation was absolutely about them not feeling bad, mm. not about me. And that is not the right way around. We need to care about us first and how we are feeling and everybody else can figure it out for themselves. The other thing that happens when you're not drinking is it just holds a mirror up to somebody else who's talking to you and may expose to them something that's going on for them that they're not ready to deal with. And that's when you can get conflict. That's when you can get pushback. That's when you can get yelled at by an adult human for not doing a shot of tequila, random example, um because <laughs> they then get defensive that literally happened like a grown yeah. human man screamed in my face because I didn't want to do a shot of tequila and I was like mate I haven't had a drink for three months so if I was going to have a drink it wouldn't be a shot of tequila and it certainly wouldn't be with you so no. go away but I get now that that it was so confronting for that person for me to be at a housewarming party and having a really good time genuinely enjoying myself Mm. but I I was sober and he was like I love my partner he just 
doesn't give a fuck. He's like, doesn't drink and like, we'll be out. Like last weekend we were at this barbecue festival. He just left to go to the gym. He just left. He's like, all right, I'll see you later. Like he just does not care because he's so committed to his health and his mental health. I love that too. And that's, I think like another bit of advice that I want to give people who are, you know, dabbling in sobriety and having a bit of time off. Like I remember talking to someone and she's like, oh my God, I just don't want to go to this party and not drink. I'm like, then don't go. She's like, what? I'm like, just don't go. Like, if you don't want to go, why were you going if you don't want to go? And she's like, oh, yeah. So, like, you don't have to go and you can just tap out early. Like, everything gets boring after eight when you're sober because people are idiots. And so it's like, <laughs> just go home and then make a cool plan for the morning and enjoy your weekend and don't worry about everybody else. So, Maz, what shifted for you? So you you spoke about earlier that, like, you felt more creative um, like all this stuff started shifting in your life. So what did that feel like day to day for you? So the first sort of few days, oh, I was probably just in a detox phase, so like headachey, like not mm. first few days aren't super fun. It was not, <laughs> not going to lie. Um, had some interesting bowel movements. Like it was just, there's a lot going on. <laughs> but um. About day 23, I remember waking up and I was like, oh, my God, is this the Matrix? Like I I distinctly remember waking up and hearing birds chirping in the trees and I like opened the curtains and like the sunlight hit my face and I felt vitamin D go into my skin and I just, I don't know, like I don't know, just something shifted that day and I was like, man, if this is what I had been missing out on in life, I don't want to drink again because this is amazing. And so I think that that, like I've thought about this a lot of like what is that? Like how do I articulate that for people? Mm. I really think it was because I'd finally had 23 nights of solid sleep in my adult life in a row and I don't think I'd Mm. ever had that since I was a teenager So I think it was the knock-on effect of actually having um, proper deep REM restorative sleep, my body healing itself, Mm. um, detoxing all of the poison out of my system. And I think all of those systems kind of working together that got me to a place where I just woke up and I was like, who switched on the lights? And then from there, I remember being Mm. feeling like so clear-headed and so sharp, but also less of a dickhead. So I really felt like my patience increased for other people. My tolerance increased. I felt like more kind. So Mm. I just went, I just remember like going into work and shouting everyone coffee and they would just like fell off their chairs. Not that I was ever like not nice, but they were just like, what's this all about? I'm like, oh no, I just feel like shouting you guys coffee. Like, Cause, and it just felt really, I just wanted to be generous and I just had all this gratitude and I was mm. like, who am I? And so there were so many things in that first sort of, in those couple of days, 23-ish days in, that were really, really like the pink cloud. Mm. Like it was very, very obvious to me. Other people don't have that experience. Um, and then also what happens is like the novelty wears off. So I also remember getting to about eight months and I was like, hmm, that beer looks pretty good. 
because all of those things that I just explained had normalized. And so the gloss had worn off, the sheen had worn off. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a talking point anymore. People weren't giving me compliments for being sober and saying how amazing and inspiring and brave I was. They were just like, oh, it's Maz. She doesn't drink. So all the shine wore off and then I and then I feel like you find your rhythm and your balance and you know it's like it's almost like a relationship like I had this like whirlwind romance this sobriety that swept me off my feet and then the honeymoon was over and now I'm in a long-term committed boring relationship with it. Maz thank you for joining us on the podcast today we'll put links to everything we discussed in the show notes below. This podcast please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.